Out in the World language podcast. I am here with Jenna Cushing-Lobner and Jay Ike Diggs. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for having us. So, uh, we're going to be talking today um, about your online program that you are offering um, for teachers. Um, I think this is a significant opportunity for teachers to not only expand their knowledge about heritage language learners, but to also critically examine um, their teaching practices and their pedagogies. So, uh, Jenna, uh, you want to introduce yourself first? Uh, sure. My name is Jenna Cushing-Lubner. I'm an assistant professor at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, um, and I'm the head of the World Language Education Program, and um, together with Jay, we developed the Certificate in Heritage Language Education there as well, and then I also work in the ESL, the Bilingual Bicultural Ed Minors there. Awesome. Jay? Hi, my name is Jay Ike Diggs. I'm a second year doctoral student at the University of Arizona in Tucson right now. I am in the program teaching, learning, and sociocultural studies in the College of Education. Um, out here, I also work for Tucson Unified School District in the Racial Equity Department um, with Mexican American Student Services as a program specialist in academic empowerment and engagement. And before moving out to Tucson, I worked for six years as a heritage language teacher at a high school in South Minneapolis and worked alongside Jenna and my students to develop the school's heritage language program that we'll be talking about today. Fantastic. So, well, let's just jump right into it, right? I think we got a lot to discuss, um, or you ladies have a lot to describe about your program. Um, so you're working with the uh, Carla Institute, which is the Center for Advanced Research on Language Acquisition, Acquisition, offering a one-week synchronous online institute that looks at critical approaches to heritage language education. Could you explain a bit about the program, its mission, its goals? Sure, I can start. Um, I think that in order to answer this question, I would like to tell a story. Um, like I mentioned, I'm from Minneapolis, and in 2013, I finished my licensure program at the University of Minnesota in K-12 Spanish and English as an additional language. I was very interested in starting to work at a school that I had visited during my licensure program, um, and I approached the principal as about a month before graduation and asked him, if there would be any openings in any of my licensure areas. And he said that, well, he wasn't going to have any openings in Spanish as a world language or EAL. He was looking to start a heritage Spanish program. The school that I was looking to work at had almost a 50% Latinx population and admin and teachers were catching on to the fact that Spanish as world language classes were completely inappropriate for that population of students, right? Yes. So he asked me if I would be interested in starting the Heritage Spanish program in the fall, and I accepted. Um, as I began to develop the course and set goals and pull resources together, I started to realize how little I knew about being this type of language teacher. And not how little I knew, 
not just how little I knew, but also how little I had been prepared to be this type of language teacher. So I started with what I knew. Um, I, and then I, from there, I adjusted my curricula to whether and how students engaged with it, um, that with, whether or not they were get, engaging with what I was designing. And we spent five, six years doing that, um, where I would design something and then kind of run it by them, and they would let me know if that would work for them or not. Um, we start. We built something that we became very proud of, um, and my goal shifted from relying on my training as a language teacher to focusing more on the content that incited that organic interest and wondering among my students, and using that to determine the trajectory of the curriculum. Um, from the, from when the program began in 2013, um, to when it was cut in 2018, which I'll get to in a moment, our high school saw an almost 15% increase in Latinx graduation rates, um, with nearly 75% of the student demographic graduating in 2015. Um, but after five years, the program was cut from the budget. Um, and this was part of an annual district budget tie-out that saw an unprecedented amount of cuts um, and layoffs in the district. So when I told students what was happening to the program, their first reaction was, well, we can protest this, Miss, can't we? Yeah. And I made it very clear that, yes, the answer is yes, absolutely. It is your right to fight for this program and that I could not and would not be at the center of this organizing effort. That if this was something that they wanted to do, that they needed to take stock of and garner their resources to move forward and that I would be at the periphery, you know, also garnering my resources to support them, but that it needed to be a student-led movement. Mm. And they knew exactly what to do. Um, certain students were designated, they were either self-elected or chosen by their classmates as artists. They were to make the signs and different media to communicate our situation to the larger school community. Um, some were elected to be our spokespeople. We held a community meeting and um, a meeting with the school administration. And so the spokespeople represented us there. And we also elected a spokesperson to represent us in front of the school board. And that person secured a three minute slot to plead their case to the school board. Um, That's impressive. It was beautiful. In in the midst of something very dark, um, there was this really organic, beautiful movement that came out of it. And after all of their efforts, the program was restored. They were successful. Wow. Um, the school board allotted a certain amount of funds back to the district and stated that, you know, X amount of the funds was to go specifically to heritage language and ethnic studies programs like ours. Doma, good one. So I, I tell this story when we talk about the mission of our institute for a couple of reasons. 
first, well, first because what we experienced and the organizing efforts that my students orchestrated to save the program are not unique. You know, we know that there's a long history of Black and Latinx students in this country who have um, been driving efforts to maintain educational spaces that they have deemed safe and affirming. And many of those examples are what my students followed in order to kind of guide them through this process. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say that our Institute's mission, um, now that I have taken a step back as a doctoral student, um, I'm not in the classroom in the way that I was before, I can see what I needed to prepare when I started. Um, and I can see what I needed to strengthen and sustain um, this course. And so one of our goals is to support teachers after having gained that perspective to do the same. Mm. And it's also, um, you know, to facilitate discussion and share concrete strategies and pedagogical models that are capable of making our heritage classroom spaces that students deem are worth fighting for the way that my former students did for ours. And I don't know if Jenna, you wanna add to what you feel the missions are of our Institute. Uh, yeah, I love that story. It's um, a beautiful story. Sharing that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it gives me chills every time because what we see repeatedly over and over again, um, when we have educators who um, really take a stance of a recognition of power dynamics across language, curriculum, pedagogies, assessment, and policy in their schools, which is at the heart of our goals of our program, that they stand alongside and accompany multilingual youth of color, their families and community members to really fight and join this fight for the educational rights that they have, you know, um, and uh, to be reminded of that um, gives me chills, but also we see it happen over and over again. And um, we work, you know, a lot of the teachers we work with are Spanish heritage language teachers, which is our most commonly taught language in the United States and our most commonly taught heritage language in the United States. But we also work very closely with a very large group of Hmong heritage language teachers across um, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and, and um, California. Um, we work with, this is a, a language spoken by a community that's in the United States through a refugee resettlement program that started in the 1980s. And um, they are also engaging in these constant struggles for their educational rights, centering multilingualism, um, a critical intra-ethnic studies approach, community-based learning. Um, and those programs, you know, the story that Jay just told, at the same time that the Spanish heritage language programs were saved through these efforts, the Hmong heritage language programs in that district were cut. And so mm -hmm. we are constantly also trying to think of these dynamics of power, even within the heritage language world mm -hmm. um, and how um, community-based settings, less commonly taught heritage language settings, and most commonly taught heritage language settings like Spanish, what, did, what does it mean to create environments that are worthy 
of, of multilingual kids and colors from the, from these communities and the educators who really take it upon themselves to, to accompany them in their educational rights. Absolutely. Well, that's a good foundation to start this program on. That's a beautiful story that the students were motivated to uh, protest and, and save that program. And then, Jenna, you mentioned how other uh, not as popular uh, language languages are those programs do get cut. So um, your focus truly is broad, and that's so that's beautiful. Um, so with a focus in this in this uh, work that you have. Um, you have a focus on things like identity work, digital storytelling, race, and ethnic study units, introduction to language arts, teaching, etc. Could you speak more specifically about the characteristic features that differentiate one from the other and why each of them do you feel is essential as an integrating part of this course? I think you touched on it at the beginning with your introductions, but if you could, you could dive a little deeper into that if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that we, um, we that we start with and, and is a core part of all of the work that we do, all the courses that we do, this Carla course, and then also the deep dive courses we do in the certificate program, we, we root it in um, a holistic model um, that, that integrates community-based learning, um, self-determining inquiry-based um, approaches where youth are really developing um, the curriculum that they are learning and, and growing their languages and literacy practices within, um, linguistic and cultural sustainability, identity work, translingual or translanguaging practices as lived realities that have linguistic um, and social and economic power, um, and, and knowing who we are, where we're coming from, who we're coming from, and where we're going through that knowledge, which is an intra-ethnic studies approach as well. Um, and so we really view this as, as holistic. It's all integrated, right? We can't focus on one and not the other, right? So even when we see that um, there's like a move in the heritage language education world to do a language arts approach, and we see that this is a very powerful approach, and yet when this language arts approach does not center a critical language awareness around multilingualism, around translanguaging, when it does not center um, ethnic studies or root come out of ethnic studies, um, what we see is that it's really just regurgitating the subtractive and, um, and marginalizing schooling practices that a lot of our multilingual kids of color who become heritage learners of their own languages um, have experienced. And so um, when we when we think about each of these as essential uh, parts of, of what does it mean to do heritage language education, um, again, in ways that are worthy of the kids who we get to teach um, and the communities who are raising them, um, it has to be really integrated in that way. And um, so each of those focus areas, that's that's something that we want teachers to come out of it saying, not only saying like, okay, I have the skills and capacities to take risks in my teaching and expand myself to teach in these ways, but we also really want teachers who come into the program to be able to like do an inventory and take stock and like, what are their strengths that they bring in? Like what fire do they bring to their teaching? We've had teachers who say like, I want to do exactly what Jay created. 
like in her class. She, they hear these stories and they say, I want to do what Jay created. And I, I, I always think of this teacher who um, we worked with, who was a student teacher in Jay's heritage language program. And she loved what Jay was doing in her class. They were doing these inquiry-based projects, these um, youth participatory action research approaches um, with an ethnic studies focus really rooted in, in history of Latinx and Chicanx studies. Um, and she tried to replicate that and it wasn't working. It wasn't working for her. It wasn't working for her kids, her students. Um, and as we talked about what wasn't working, um, it came out that she actually had a background in um, transportation justice, um, uh, livable, like commutable cities around um, bike friendly cities and walkable friendly cities. She has, a, she had an urban, uh, I'm sorry, an urban planning background and she had done a graphic designer for a bike shop and these community-based um, organizations that were working towards policy changes towards a, a walkable and bikeable city initiative. And we were like, you, are, you have kids. <laughs> yeah. Like there's so much language. There's so much literacy um, like use that, like center your classes around that, have that be your starting point. We've had teachers who enter into this and they say, you know, like they have this fire and passion towards ecological justice and environmental justice initiatives. And they see the ways that these map across, um, different regional and transnational spaces. They see how, you know, water protectors in, um, in the in uh, on Turtle Island and, and in the United States are connected to um, to access to livable clean water um, in Guatemala, right? And they are able to see those connections and say like bring that as your entry point and see the language and literacy and passions that emerge out of that because you bring your passions too. And so that's we, we want to see think of our heritage language education um, as being holistic, right. integrated, and also really rooted in the passions that we each bring. That's like looking at how all those frameworks that you're offering and then asking the teacher, what do you bring to the the table I find is, is unique to each individual educator and to the program itself, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times you find educators just want to some plug and play is what I like to say. Like, um, that's, that's why we find, uh, sites like TPT is so popular because people just want to find something that's just like cut and dry. They can take into their classroom and just do and not really think and reflect critically about it. So I love that when you push the teachers to say, what, but what angle can you bring? Right. Um, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. You so. know, we also recognize that like teachers, you know, I, I was a K-12 teacher for a lot of years and I work with teachers still and, and Jay's been a K-12 teacher for many, many years up until just really recently and still is actually working in the Tucson Unified School Districts, right, as a teacher on special assignment. And we know that teachers are also under incredible pressures and the realities of a heritage language teacher, whether Spanish or a less commonly taught language, mm -hmm. is that Heritage language teachers are in a position to be creating, be curriculum designers, sometimes being authors of their own texts and finders of their own materials, translators, interpreters, um, creators of their own assessments and evaluations. <laughs> like, right. like heritage language teachers are tasked with so much. Yep. And so um, it makes sense, you know, that somebody would turn to TBT and be like, just give me what you created. It's beautiful. And I can use something because I can barely keep my head above water. And we um, we recognize that. And we also 
make sure that our programs are designed with that in mind. So everything we do in our programs, in the Carla course and in the deeper dive courses, um, is really, really based on collaborative development of shared and open access materials and mm. curriculum. Yeah. So we don't we don't want teachers to have to sell their work and buy their work, right? right. We want teachers to be able to collaborate together and create something together that they can then adapt to their unique context because every locality is going to mean something different for what the kids in that space need. Exactly. It's true. Like, um, heritage language teachers, a lot of times are just thrown into these, these classes. Um, and good luck. Uh, you know, a lot of times there's no books, there's no precedent for the classes. Um, it's built from the ground up. Um, I know Adrian Brandenburg was doing some work with that, helping teachers develop um, these programs in the school for the first time, her and Mary Beth. Uh, so it can be overwhelming. I'm not disparaging those teachers that hop on TPT and try to find something to help uh, navigate the waters, right? Because mm-hmm. it truly is tough. And in my experience also as a first-year heritage language teacher years ago, I I was like, oh, I was emailing friends and calling people that I knew that had done the work previous and just trying to find things to do so um, yeah absolutely but I always had a critical lens when I even when I approached it at a beginning stage and I think mm. a lot of teachers uh, may or may not do that and I think with this program that's one of the things that you guys are are, are focusing on and I commend you for that um, so uh, what aspects of the course outline hold significant meaning for you? Uh, the things we sort of just talked out, uh, talked through. Um, something perhaps you developed or have a particular interest in and why? This could be for both of you if you want to take a stab at it. Um, anything special out of these course outlines? Sure. Um, I'll start with that one. For me, the most significant part of this work is the identity work. We are intentional, Jenna and I, um, when we help to design these courses, about weaving the study of who we are, where we came from, and where we're headed. We, In my course, I'm asking the students to think about and reflect on those questions constantly throughout the course of the program. Um, and really doing that critical, introspective, self-reflective work, right? It's And it weaves throughout the curriculum. Um, and the goal of that would be, I mean, one of the major goals is to hold space for students to reflect on their sense of selves in order to control narratives about who they are and what they're capable of. Because when we're working with Spanish um, heritage speakers, Latinx students, um, we know about all of the disparaging messaging that's being sent, that they're being bombarded with every day about themselves, about their people, and about their communities. And we really engage in the identity work to engage in in counter-narrative storytelling Mm -hmm. so that they take back control of those narratives, right? Right. And so... And so walking educators through how we've employed this part of the course is particularly meaningful for me, mostly because of the impact that I've seen this type of work have on students over the years. Um, I'm sure, 
I'm sure that a lot of heritage language educators can identify with the experience of having a student enter the class who doesn't feel like they belong there, for mm. example. Yes. Right. Or they're not particularly thrilled about being in that class for whatever reason. I don't need this um, class. Right. That. Exactly. We've heard it. Right. Um, yeah. And the way that I've heard it is um, I don't know why they put me in this class or I don't speak Spanish. And, you know, essentially what the student is telling me is tell me where to sit and leave me alone for the rest of the semester. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I've learned that through this identity work that we chip away at day by day, I've seen that same student transform into a confident, proud, trilingual speaker with a strong public voice. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have another story. You know, I had one student who came in with that, you know, please just let me be attitude. Um, and this mm -hmm. was my third year teaching. And so I did. I, I didn't force that student to speak Spanish. I tried not to be overbearing or pushy in terms of how they engaged in class. Right. Right. Um, but little by little, I felt and saw the student perk up when we would study different historical events and movements through Latinx and Chicanx lenses. And by the time that the program was cut, this student was the most, one of the most vocal organizers in right. the group. Right. Um, you know, this student wrote letters to local elementary school teachers that we had collaborated with petitioning their support. Um, and the student spoke in front of a group of aspiring teachers from the local university to do the same. So, you know, when we talk about the, the components of this course that are the most meaningful, that has to be mine hands down. Seeing those transformations is really what makes the identity work incredibly significant for me. That's, see, and if you would, if you would have given up on that student and not had a, I would imagine your, your curriculum was designed, uh, um, giving many voices in your classroom, right? The opportunity for students to see and connect with those, uh, those identities that you presented. Um, you could have just easily given up and not pursued that, but your curriculum allowed that student to engage. And I think that's the critical key, right? here is that what you were offering as an educator to your students allowed them to connect, right? There wasn't just one voice. Um, yeah. So I, mm -hmm. I think that oftentimes as educators and, you know, especially as heritage language educators, we feel pressure to move things at the pace that we expect or perceive is the right or correct pace mm. you know mm -hmm. um and it's that banking it's, model right when that mm, come in mm -hmm. and just i know what's best i'm going to put this in your mind there's a lot of that mentality um and i really adopted the mindset of letting students be where they were and we'll work from there and you know with employing that strategy i found you know, students to actually, um, they just really 
engaged with the content of the course and and really formed a tight knit community of young people with strong public voices. Mm. I have a similar story, a student this year, actually. Um, I mean, he was engaged more or less. Um, he didn't, he didn't come in with that attitude, but he definitely had an attitude of like, ah, you know, and he was, uh, he was from El Salvador, his family's from El Salvador. And, uh, we were starting to talk about the civil war in El Salvador in March, right at the beginning of March. And, uh, he just perked up. Right. And he's like, ah, oh, my dad was like part of the, uh, FM Melin, right? And he wanted to see if he could get his father to come in and speak about his experience. And I was like, of course, right? And then, you know, what happened? 13th was our last day of school due to the coronavirus. Um, and that just was like, I was like, oh, this was about to get deep and intense. But he perked up, similar to your student. He was like, I, I'm getting ready to own this lesson, right? This unit's going to be all me. And uh, it was just a beautiful thing, right? Um, right. So. Jenna, what about you? Anything uh, um, you want to share? Yeah, I think, I mean, I echo what Jay, what Jay said. Um, the only thing I think that um, is really significant for me when I think about what we've been able to develop, um, this, I mean, the, the content of these, of these courses have been developed over like 10 years of using something called participatory design research, which means that those most impacted by the experiences and the environments that aren't working for kids in schools, like those most negatively impacted by our school practices, our curriculum, our policies, our teacher education preparation, um, become the people who voice what should be, right? Mm -hmm. And so everything that we that we that we include and involve in like everything that we that um, teachers are interacting with through these courses in our program are coming out of years of youth in the heritage programs, parents, elders in the communities, um, multilingual teachers of color who teach in the heritage language programs um, and who, as, as Jay mentioned, like did not feel prepared to become the teachers that they, that mm -hmm. they really desired to become um, are the designers of what goes into these courses. Um, we asked a question um, of a group of youth once, which was, you know, what would teachers need to know and be able to do in order to um, become the teachers who are deserving of you and your nieces and nephews and cousins and brothers and sisters, right? Mm -hmm. And then the answer to that goes into the design of our programs and um, the content of what we what we do with our teachers in the programs. Um, and I think one of the things that I um, really, really think is our strongest commitment is to say that heritage language context, teaching context, learning context are a space for um, ethnic studies to exist in our schools. Um, when ethnic studies, um, if you're not of European origin, and then like all of school is ethnic studies, right? Um, ethnic studies is something that um, is so politicized and is so difficult to be able to come by. And we see the, the ways that uh, multilingual kids of color are pushed out of school and edged out of school and out of their potentials and possibilities um, that education should be creating a space for them to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and so our heritage language classrooms can be places where ethnic studies lives. And, um, and what I really uh, love about um, what we've seen happen is that teachers come through our courses and um, 
they begin to create those ethnic study spaces that are also translingual or multilingual spaces. And um, I think that's that's the thing that it, um, it really ties into the identity work that Jay was talking about. Right, right. So you, you mentioned at the beginning uh, pre-service teachers. A lot of times um, uh, teachers aren't trained from the beginning, right, uh, to, to look at these classes through these lenses, right, especially in a lot of education courses before they even get into the classroom. I think when I went through my education um, training licensure program, I think there was one course the whole two years on, on multi-ethnic and identities, and that was just surface level stuff, right? So it felt like it felt like check mark. We got that out of the way, right? Let's go on to some other stuff. Uh, so that's that's also important. So the, you know, this is like pre-service work for teachers. Um, so um, my next question um, is mostly for me. I I like to think about this as a as a self-identified white man who teaches uh, heritage language learners, uh, Spanish would be in my second language. Um, so does this course address the role of um, non-native speakers of the language in the context of understanding the importance of intercultural comp competence in a culture that's, that's not your own? Um, I know you said the target audience is, and I quote, it's designed for teachers of heritage language, foreign language, indigenous language, and English as a second language at the secondary through the post-secondary level. Um, but oftentimes schools and educators, and I'm thinking white here, um, white educators, find themselves offering heritage language courses with no idea about the target culture or very little um, about the target culture that they're getting into. I know some of the topics in this course address these concerns, but I'm thinking here about white teachers specifically stepping into these roles. Uh, could one of you uh, speak to that? Yeah, um, I'll talk. I'll talk to that. So um, I'm also a white language teacher, and um, the work that I do in the pre-service teacher program at UW Whitewater um, is I, I also work with a large number of white pre-service teachers who are going to become um, world language teachers or ESL teachers, bilingual teachers. Um, and I work with, uh, you know, a large number of um, Latinx bilingual teachers who are coming, becoming bilingual and ESL teachers for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work that I do um, is, is comes out of critical whiteness um, teacher education. Um, and that, for, for my part in, in what Jay and I do together, um, I, you know, I bring that into working with practicing teachers as well, who um, are heritage language teachers. Um, and, uh, but I also want to say that um, the goals of our program, I would say white teachers who whose commitments are to engaging, participating in transforming educational spaces in order to center the goals and the possibilities and desires of multilingual children of color um, for their heritage language learning students. Mm -hmm. um, those, those white teachers benefit greatly from being in our program. Um, I, I often think about like um, what I wish that I had experienced in terms of my own racial consciousness around whiteness um, as a pre-service teacher and try to make sure that those are those are kind of central to the work that, that I end up doing with the white teachers in our programs. Um, but our primary focus 
is and always has been on providing the space and um, support for growing and sustaining multilingual teachers of color. Um, And so we, you know, many of our teachers um, would identify as teachers of color. Not all of our native speaking Spanish teachers, for example, do identify as teachers of color. Some of them are are from areas in Central and South America where they would say like, I'm white where I come from, you know, and I'd only become a person of color because being quote Hispanic you know, in the United States is a racial category, right? right? We know race is a social construct, so. (laughs) Right. And so, um, but also for our less commonly taught language, um, heritage language teachers, you know, I think of like in the Hmong community, it's, you know, 98% are from within the Hmong community. And so we're talking about um, a program that really, really centers the support and sustainability of multilingual teachers of color from within their own communities, recognizing that um, teacher preparation and professional development programs oftentimes don't really um, do very much to support our multilingual teachers of color besides saying like, oh, you must bring all the knowledge you need because you are a person of color or because you're a quote native speaker. And certainly there's a lot of insider knowledge that comes from growing within that community Um, and the a lot of language skills that comes from being a native speaker. But when you think about Spanish, for example, the varieties of Spanish that our students speak Mm. and are learning are so vast. And um, the same thing with less commonly taught languages. There are different varieties and dialects that are very, very different than those that the teacher may may, um, come in speaking. And so thinking about what intercultural competency means for multilingual teachers of color, in addition to thinking about what does that mean for white teachers, those are two very different worlds, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so our goal is to really say, we are creating a space that centers the the desires and needs around um, becoming the types of critical educators um, that multilingual teachers of color deserve and often don't get access to in our predominantly white teacher preparation programs. Um, And for white teachers who choose to engage that work. Right. I I will say they benefit greatly from that. And um, we, we, we differentiate for those, for where they're coming in um, to, to, to becoming, um, heritage language teachers uh, with those particular things that they have to figure out. Um, yeah, but, but our, our primary goal is, is really to support multilingual teachers of color, recognizing that white teachers benefit from those spaces, but um, aren't centered in, in the design of it. Right. Right. Beautiful. Beautiful answer. Uh, so um, moving forward here, um, you mentioned this a little bit earlier about translanguaging. Um, but thinking about the role language plays in identity construction for heritage language learners. Um, and in my mind, as a Spanish teacher, I'm thinking Spanish, but um, we can also acknowledge the others. Um, you'll be touching a little bit on translanguaging in this course. You guys want to speak a little bit about what that is, what that'll look like? Um, sure. Okay. Um, I, you know, I mentioned how my first year as a heritage language teacher, there was no curriculum and I relied heavily on my training in second language acquisition to guide my instruction. So this involved using a lot of strategies that we know do not work with heritage language learners, right? And so I would put 
what I knew to do on the table. And that is where students left it on the table. Right. And then also in line with my training, I understood that the best practice, best practice um, in air quotes in terms of classroom language production was to expect or require that we stay in the target language at least 80% of the time. Right. And so I was finding that students were feeling, excuse me, general discomfort with that expectation mm -hmm. or resisting it entirely. Entirely. Yeah. And, and so I went back to the drawing board about halfway through my first year and thought about what I might be able to do to hook them, you know, to really get them into engaged with interested in the content. And I Googled, I Google imaged Latinx civil rights movement. I thought I would start there. And I saw in the results a lot of anti-Latinx propaganda from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, mm. you know? Um, and I wondered if this might be the hook that I needed. So I went to class the next day and I organized a gallery walk. Um, and I asked students to take their notebooks out and jot down their reactions to the images as they walked around the room. Um, and the signs said things like, no dogs, no Negroes, no Mexicans, no Spanish or Mexicans allowed, etc." And at this point, you know, I, it was my first year teaching high school. I felt like I had tried so many things. I was halfway through my first year. I was feeling discouraged, to be quite honest. Um, and I think my students were feeling discouraged as well. Um, but they got up, some of them reluctantly, and started to look at the signs. And there was this buzz that started to take over the room that I had not yet experienced. Um, students were asking questions, they were talking to each other, and they were jotting down notes in their notebook feverishly. Again, in a way that I hadn't seen up to this point. So when the time was up, I asked them to take their seats and I started a discussion and I said, all right, so what y'all think? And again, up to this point, the discussions that I had tried to facilitate hadn't been very successful. There was a lot of silence. There was just a lot of silence. That's the only way right. that I could really describe that, right? Um, but this time, I had students responding in English, in Spanglish, in Spanish, right? And it was the richest, most interesting, and organically moving conversation mm -hmm. that I had experienced with this group. Yeah. And it was in three languages. Yeah. And that was when, this was before that so I had really become familiar moment. with, yes, it was. And it was, and it was before I had become familiar with the research around translanguaging. And I, I saw in that moment, the importance of holding space for students to utilize all of the resources available to them in their linguistic repertoires. So the way that we approach translanguaging and Jenna can add to this if she would like is we believe in it as a strong pedagogical tool to assure that as many voices in the space are shared and heard mm. as possible. Yeah. 
that's been my experience in the classroom also when you acknowledge and respect and honor what your students bring into the classroom you get those moments of organic raw conversations that are just real you know, that's right they, it's it's some of the most it's like the beautiful the most beautiful experience i've had in my classroom at times when when teachers honor that and uh so yeah jenna do you want to add something to that or I thought that was good. That was good. That was beautiful. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, there, there's sort of some classes that you offer and I'm going to read through them real quick and tell you which one I think I like. Um, so the focuses of some of your classes are critical, critical approaches to heritage language education, which is a prerequisite for the other courses uh, and highly recommended. Uh, deeper dives, art integrated multiliteracies for heritage bilingual learners, deeper dive, Inquiry Approaches to Bilingual Heritage Language Curriculum Design, Deeper Dive, Content-Based Bilingual and Heritage Language Teaching with Intra-Ethnic Studies and Critical Race Theories, and Becoming Teacher Scholars, Classroom Enactment, Documentation, and Dissemination Project. Now, we could, we could speak a little bit. We've, we have spoken um, about these um, somewhat. Um, but the one that really stands out to me is the uh, content-based bilingual heritage language teaching with intra-ethnic studies and critical race theories, um, where you focus on teaching and learning through intra-ethnic studies, as you mentioned a little bit before, critical race theories through concepts like intersectionality, storytelling, and testimonio, uh, interest convergence, and indigenizing, indigeni I think I said that right, um, or truth and reconciliation pedagogies. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Um, that's that just stood out to me. It's it's I think it's beautiful. Either one of you want to speak on that, and and I guess you could say the importance of the deeper dive because a lot of these are prefaced with deeper dive, and and some teachers may not know what that that means. Yeah, that's just, so um, in the critical approaches to heritage language education course, so the one we offer, we offer it two ways. You can do it through the Carla intensive option, or you can do it through our um, online option in the summertime. They're both offered in the summertime. And um, what that does is throughout that course, so we, we start doing... Um, uh, we do identity work together as educators, um, and we start talking about what does it mean to take a critical approach. And by critical, we're talking about um, recognition um, of power dynamics, um, who power, who current power dynamics serve, and in what ways, and disserve, and in what ways, histories of of um, subtractive and additive schooling in the United States, um, and then um, and and how to interrupt and transform those those spaces as critical educators um and then uh so that's kind of like our entry point and then across that class we then introduce these kind of these other areas we introduce this idea of like arts integration and language arts um we introduce the idea of um, multi um, multimodal identity work. We introduce the idea of inquiry-based approaches. So those are things like critical service learning, critical project-based learning, and youth participatory action research. And we introduce this idea of moving beyond content-based instruction, which is a move in world language education, um, and saying moving beyond content-based instruction, saying what we teach really matters and what does it mean to teach through um 
uh, ethnic studies and and critical race theory education. Um, so, or sometimes people call it race and ethnic studies. Um, and so, we introduced those things um, and in the in the critical approaches course. And then the deeper dives just means like now we have an entire series of of, of sessions where we get in deep on that and we say like okay. We've been introduced to it. Now, what does this actually mean? Where does it come from? How do we make sure that we all feel confident and in being able to, to, to understand these approaches, to talk about the, these approaches, to know where we stand in what we can do and what we need to be able to do these things? And then we collaborate together to create things that we can then bring into our teaching immediately and in the long term to really transform our spaces of learning to, to engage these approaches. And so that's what that deeper dive means. It really is like, okay, so let's really commit ourselves to this together for the next X number of weeks and really figure out how to transform our teaching and learning spaces together um, in ways that are really supported. And so those are the deeper dives. Mm-hmm. Um, the so the way that the certificate works is we we offer them on like alternating basis. So we always offer one or two in the summertime, and then we also offer one that um, runs across the the. The academic year so that teachers while they're in school we know that our heritage language teachers are often kind of isolated they may be the only they you know they may be they maybe have a team of colleagues but they may be the only heritage language teacher or they're the, they're the only heritage language teacher in their district sometimes um they may be the only language teacher some of our rural teachers you know they're the only language teacher and they're our heritage language teacher right and so by embedding it across the school year um, it allows our heritage language teachers and our esl teachers for instance who really want to utilize these approaches um to have a community of practice together and to have colleagues who they are, who are keeping them kind of sane throughout the school year. And um, we really um, see like a, a, a collegial cohort kind of growing out of that where people, people have their people and they can turn to each other and get ideas and, and share things with each other. Support and so network. that always happens. Yeah. Like a really powerful support network. Powerful that, that, support network. Yeah. And, and it continues on. And I think anybody who's um, anybody who's listening to this, who's part of, there's a Facebook group um, for teachers of Spanish heritage language. We have, we have some of our cohort members who are part of that group who, who, you know, they teach in like seven different States and they have become each other's like, close teacher friends and support network, um, but because they've been able to come together through these classes. Um, and so in lieu of having a community of practice locally in our schools, we create that um, in a virtual environment and have been since before COVID kind of forced us all to figure out how to do that. Um, but uh, the one that we're teaching this coming, so this summer we're teaching, teaching the art space, reading and writing approaches. And then the one that we're teaching this coming year is that um, um, intra-ethnic studies and critical race theories using content-based instruction. And what we're really excited about for that is we know that um, we have heritage language teachers and teachers of multilingual kids who recognize the power of ethnic studies, who recognize the power of um, using critical race understandings and critical race theory in their teaching. And also we know that our teacher preparation programs don't have this as a part of that model for the most part, you know? Um, And so 
the the course is really twofold. On the one hand, we really dive in together to say like, what is what does it mean to do um, like a critical race and ethnic studies approach to teaching? Um, what are some of the what are some of the models that exist for ethnic studies and using critical race theory in education? Um, what does it mean to do this in an intentionally multilingual setting? Um, and so we really really make sure that. Um, Together, we understand what those approaches mean, what they ask of us, and how we can go about doing them. And then we also recognize that language teachers, for the most part, um, for years and years, you know, to prepare a language teacher, your content has been like, do you know the language, right? And it's really been more of like an applied linguistics content to become a world language teacher. Um, do you know the language? And can you talk about the grammar and the structure of the language? But that's right. not, you know, good luck getting kids to like <laughs> love the language. That. <laughs> Boy, that's a quick way to lose some students right there. Right. And so we're like, okay, the content matters. But then we also recognize that for the most part, our world and heritage language teachers have not been given the benefit of like of, of, of taking ethnic studies courses, of taking race and ethnic studies courses as part of their preparation to be teachers. And so the, what becomes the content? You know, we just say like, well, good luck, go and Google it and try to figure it out. And even our multilingual teachers of color coming from within the communities, the Latinx communities, for instance, or the Hmong communities or whichever language um, speaking community we're working with, doesn't mean that they have the background in education in these things just because they may bring lived experiences, which is powerful and, and really can be infused into some really impactful teaching. And so for this course, what we're doing is we're infusing that content into the pedagogical and curriculum design part. And so um, we start out by saying like, okay, what does it mean to take these approaches, to use these approaches, to have these stances, to design our courses through race and ethnic studies. And then in the center, in the middle part of that course, um, we are embedding an introduction to Chicanx and Latinx studies um, taught by an ethnic studies um, professor <laughs> um, so that teachers are, are, are interacting with like at least an introduction to that content. For people who are not um, Spanish heritage language teachers, we have a different version of that that we do with them individually. We do it through um, independent study and book study groups. And then we finish up by saying, okay, here's the skill set of designing content-based instruction um, and how to, and then all of the teachers work together to actually collaborate on designing race and ethnic studies units of study that they can then go out and use in their classrooms that are linked to language and um, multiliteracy um, outcomes for their students. I think that was my next question. I was, I was going to ask you, um, I think you had something coming down the pipeline, right? And it was the, uh, the uh, Chicanx Latinx studies for uh, teachers course growing by literacy series, right? That was... You just went ahead and answered that. That was my, that was my uh, next question. Um, so, do you want to mention? I think uh, uh, one of your one of our colleagues is uh, offering something in the the literacies part. Um, uh, you want to speak to? I think it's Jen, right? She's. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. I got cut off from you. You got cut off. Oh, sorry. That's okay. I'll sorry. repeat it. I think one <laughs> okay. of our colleagues uh, is. Um, offering uh, something in the literacies, the growing by literacies part, right? Um, Jen is uh, yeah. offering something you want to speak about what, what she's sure. offering also. Yeah. This is the other thing we're really excited about. So this, the whole certificate program 
um, again, I, I mentioned that it, it grows out of this uh, participatory design research that's extended over many years. But part of that is saying that the teachers are part of the designers too. And so the, the program is very, it's designed to be very responsive to the desires and needs of our heritage language educators. And so one of the things that has really emerged is um, we see and hear from our teachers that um, they are doing a language arts approach. There's Whether it's like um, free voluntary reading, um, which we, we always think about connecting to identity work and ethnic studies as well. Um, free voluntary reading, um, becoming readers and writers using reading and writing workshops. There's a lot of ways that people are doing these language arts approaches. Um, some of the early, early um, kind of like guidelines and standards for teaching Spanish in a heritage language actually come from Spanish language arts um, curriculum and, and guidelines from a couple of states. Um, and so increasingly we have heritage language teachers who are saying like, okay, my, I'm, I'm finding my way and it's not as a grammar teacher and it's not as an applied linguistics, you know, typical world language teacher, but it's through the language arts. And for teachers who are finding their way into heritage language teaching through the language arts, and that's really working for them and for their learners, what happens almost immediately after that is they say, and I never learned how to teach reading and writing. And so here I am again, not sure how to do this right, you know. And we also know that being a reading and writing teacher, um, it's about content it's about language and multi-literacies and multimodal literacies. And for our heritage language teachers, it's about bi-literacy transfer. Language and literacy transfer going in both directions, being um, kind of these parallel developments about sustaining bi-literacy or multi-literacies. Um, and so because we were hearing this from our teachers, we, we kind of put our heads together and we're like, okay, so what can we do? And um, this growing bi-literacy series um, is is something that we're piloting starting um, in May, actually. The first course starts um, at the end of May. And um, what it is, is they are online courses that are designed as um, for people who are trying to get a reading or literacy specialist license in Wisconsin. The courses are being offered online. So our heritage language teachers who take these courses, they're taking them through continuing ed. So they're not paying per credit. But if they are in Wisconsin and they want to get a license, they can actually take them for credit if they want, but um, everybody else can just take them as continuing ed. And what they're doing is they're taking classes with literacy and reading specialist instructor together with reading and literacy specialists who are seeking their actual licenses. Um, and then um, what Jen is doing with us, um, Jen has been doing a really powerful language arts um, identity work approach for a number of years now. And so what she's going to be doing is she's going to be in those classes with our heritage language teachers. And then she's going to be running um, weekly. She's going to have an open discussion room where she's facilitating saying, so what does this mean for our heritage language context? And she's going to be working with teachers who take the, the literacies courses um, to, to, to figure out like, how do we translate this into the specific environment of heritage language teaching? And what does this mean for us so that they can continue to do those collaborations of, of kind of transferring that, that knowledge base into the unique world of heritage language teaching? We're really excited about it. And she's fantastic. Beautiful. Fantastic. Um, so this sounds like there's something for everybody in this program. Um, We're trying. So... Uh, as we wrap up here, do you, do you ladies have any parting words or anything we may have missed? Um, 
I personally want to thank you for being on the show, sharing your stories, your personal experiences in the classroom, and your um, your course development. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, and, thanks for having us. This is great. And you're listening to What in the World Language Podcast.